Matthew 1. I recognize a genealogy is hard to find a psalm for, but the songs fit well, particularly that second song. Behold, he came. The amazing thing that God came to our world in the person of Jesus to redeem us from sin. Let's read the text. This is the New American Standard Bible. In verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Ram and the father and Hezron was the father of Amminadab. Verse 4. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel became the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim. Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. And Eliad was the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Generations. Um, tonight, we're going to try something which will be one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. We're going to see if we can do this, do this. Telestrator, whatever it is. Okay. 
What, how do you make sense of this outline? Well, one in a big picture, in one one, you kind of have a heading to this outline. Then in two to six a, you find these 14 generations from Abraham to David. Then, from 6b to verse 11, the 14 generations from David to captivity. And then, from 12 to 16, you have captivity to Christ. Each of those listed as 14 Generations. Then in 117, you have a conclusion. Now, I ask you, one question that I ask you was this. Who are the two key characters in this genealogy besides Jesus? Obviously, Jesus is the focus. Who are the two key characters? How many of you feel confident that you've got to answer that question. You feel confident. You, you recognize Zerubbabel. <laughs> okay. The two key characters in this genealogy besides Jesus are Abraham and David. Now, why would I say that? Is that just something I feel? Or is there some evidence in the text of that? You notice that the names of Jesus, the names of David and Abraham are mentioned in verse 1 in the heading to this section. It mentions each of these key characters. In verse 17, at the conclusion of this section, it mentions Abraham, David, and the Messiah. So you have it in the introduction. You have it in the conclusion. You have all three of these characters mentioned. You find their names stressed throughout verses 2 through 16. So obviously they are key characters in uh, this particular, this particular uh, genealogy. Now, another thing to uh, pay attention to in this genealogy, in the New American Standard Bible... It says that um, okay. Um, Jesse, you may need to sit up front, <laughs> but. Um, Do you notice in verse 2 the word? Okay. The word in the New American Standard was the Father. Now, that is the translation of the New American Standard Bible. That is basically the translation also in the English Standard Bible. That is the basic translation of the RSV and the NIV. It has something to the effect, was the Father. You see that? 
And do you see this is, and I got different counts. Sometimes when I counted through this section, I got that that phrase was used 38 times. Sometimes I got it was used 39. Sometimes I got it was used 40 times. And so I'm not always a good counter. But this is a key phrase. It is used 38 to 40 times. Now, that's going to be important in a moment. And we're going to come back to some of these kind of ideas. But he was the father of. Now, what the um, what the King James Version has, if you use an older King James, it uses the word, it uses the word begot. Uses the word begot. The word begot is used in the King James Version, uh, or, or begat. Begot, I think, is the New King James. And I know that, um, Roy, are you still using it, New American Standard 2020 or something? It had, it had the word fathered there. Uh, uses the term father. Personally, there, there is something to say for those three translations there. And I hope I can explain that clearly uh, in a moment. But um, be looking at some of these key uh, kind of elements. Abraham and David are the key characters in the genealogy. Now, another question I asked you was this. I asked you, what do the names in verses 6 through 11 have in common? 6 through 11 have in common. Do you think you recognize, how many of you feel like you recognize the answer to that question? You realize what the names of 6 through 11 have in common? And that would be what they have in common is all of these characters served as king. They all were kings. Now you may say, what about Bathsheba? That's a good question. But let me tell you something that's interesting. Even though the word Bathsheba appears in the New American Standard text, do you know that word is not even in the Greek text? It simply said David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And actually the word wife is implied. The of Uriah is what the Greek text says. So her name is really not even mentioned in that. So it's mentioning these people are kings. And those kings ended with Babylonian captivity. God made great promises to David. He made great promises. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David's conscience bothered him because he lived in better quarters than the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, Lord, I want to build you a house. Originally, Nathan said, go and do all that is in your heart. You build a house to the Lord. But then the Lord spoke to Nathan and says, it is my prerogative to initiate who builds my house. 
David, I'm not going to let you build me a house, but I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your dynasty. And after you have slept with your fathers, I will raise up your children after you to be king over Israel. David's conscience had bothered him because the Lord had done so much for David and David had done so little for God. And when David makes this request, God says, I'm not going to let you do what you want, but I'm going to do even more for you. I'm going to establish your line, your descendants. They're going to be kings and I'm going to make them rule over Israel. The Jewish people longed for the Messiah that would come from the line of David. They longed for that Messiah who would come from the line of David. And they had great hopes when someone became king. We talked about the passage of Lamentations 4.20 in our Psalms class where the king was called the breath of our nostrils. They, they had great hope for the king, great longings for the king, but Lo and behold, in spite of the fact that these kings were promised that they would be the greatest of all kings of the earth, in Psalm 89, what happens to the last king of Judah, Zedekiah, who doesn't even make this genealogy, is Zedekiah uh, is captured, he is taken uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar kills his sons and puts out his eyes as he watches his sons killed, and he can do nothing to defend himself from blindness. He can do nothing. He can do nothing to protect his son's life. And that was the last king of Judah on the pages of the Old Testament. And Psalm 89 asks, God, what happened to your promises to David? The Jewish people longed for this Messiah, longed for this one who would come from the line of David, who would be king, who would give them deliverance from their foes. They thought of a king as conquering their enemies and reigning over the nations. He is going to conquer the enemies. He is going to reign over the nations, but not in the way that they expected it. Now, I want to make another point about this. And um, <laughs> I'm swiping every way, Jesse. But, okay. Okay. You notice the emphasis on the number 14 in this genealogy. Now, for some of you um, that I've had in class before in Kings, I may ask you what Kings are missing from this particular genealogy afterwards. Not right now. My point is... Some of the names in this genealogy were omitted in order to come to this number 14. What is so important about this number 14? I want to tell you that not everyone agrees with what I'm about to say. I do not know that it is right. But I lean toward this. That's why I'm presenting it. Just briefly, I want to present to you the first six letters of the Hebrew alphabet in the um, older block kind of script. These 
numbers, these letters also had numerical values. Do you know what the name David in Hebrew is? You take the fourth letter, the sixth letter, and the fourth letter. That equals numerically 14. Now again, not everybody agrees that that's what's going on. It's not easy in context to decipher that. But the reason I think that makes sense is because there's such stress on Jesus as the descendant of David. There's such stress on him as the descendant of David. And because there is that stress, I think that's probably why the number 14 is used. Even, even the generations that are mentioned are mentioned to stress Jesus as the descendant of David. He is the coming king who is going to rule the nation. The Jewish people weren't wrong in having that longing for king. But Jesus was going to conquer the nation in a way that they didn't expect. And he was not going to just deal with political oppression. Because apparently the worst problem was the problem of sin and death. And Jesus is going to be the king who is going to conquer these problems. And so as the Jewish people long for a king, they long for a savior. They long for one who would, who would give them victory over the nation. Their longings are fulfilled in this Jesus of Nazareth. He is the son of David and he will be called that, uh, eight or nine times in the gospel of Matthew. He is the son of David, but he also is the son of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. And God made great promises to Abraham. Included among those promises was that all nations would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. This gospel of Matthew has a very Jewish feel. It is written largely to Jewish readers to emphasize that Jesus fulfills the picture of the Messiah on the pages of the Old Testament. And often he will introduce a quotation. He will introduce a statement uh, by stating this happened in order to fulfill the words of the prophets. But what Jesus came to do doesn't have implications just for Jewish people. It has implications for all the world. He is the son of David who is going to reign on David's throne. But he is the son of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham as well. And through him, God is going to bless all nations. Gentiles are going to be included in God's plan of salvation. All authority has been given in heaven and earth. Go therefore and teach all nations. He is coming to bless all nations. Do you see that? Even in the names of the women in the genealogy. The men in this genealogy are all, of course, uh, descendants of Abraham, David. They are all Jewish. But do you see the women who are mentioned in verse 5? You see the name of Rahab? 
In verse 5, you see the name of Ruth, the Moabite. And then you have the wife of Uriah in verse 6. Now, Bathsheba may have been Jewish, but she marries a Hittite. She may have been a foreigner as well. And so what we see in these names is that God's promises to David are going to end up being a blessing to all nations, to all people. He's going to bring salvation to all. But the most important name in this land is obviously not David and not Abraham but it is in Jesus and that can be demonstrated so many ways so many ways do you know how many genealogies are in the Old Testament according to the anchor bible Dictionary, article on genealogy, there are 25. 25 in the Old Testament. About 25 substantial genealogies, they say. What they consider substantial, not sure. How many do you have in the New Testament? Two. Matthew 1 and Luke 3. And both of them focus on the same character Jesus after Jesus royal line has been established in a very real sense no one else's matters because you see he has come to conquer the ultimate foe of sin and death and he has come To be a blessing to all the nations. That all nations would be blessed through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you another way that you see Jesus' centrality in this genealogy. Not only do you see it in the very fact he's mentioned in the first verse before all these people come. In a way he overshadows all who went before him to prepare the way for him. But he is also mentioned again in the last verse. But did you notice the difference in the wording of verse 16? In verse 16, after the text has said 38 to 40 times, X was the father of Y, Abraham the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. After the text says that Abraham begat um, Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, or however it is worded, in verse 16, it is worded differently. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph is not said to father anybody. He was the husband of Mary. 
Now before, when women were mentioned in verse 3, verse 5, and verse 6, it is mentioned that this particular person became the father of his son by this woman. That's not stated there. Jacob was the father of Joseph, and Joseph is identified as the husband of Mary. By whom was born the Christ? Now, I told you this, listen to this, I'm going to try to explain this in as simple of terms as I can. Because my guess is, and I'm showing my solidarity with you right here. If you are one of those who does not like the particulars of Graham, count me as one of you. Okay? But you know, in grammar, the difference between an active and a passive voice. You know that? An active and a passive voice. The word that is used in verse 16 to say that Jesus was born is the same essential Greek word that was used in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. The same word that has been used 38 to 40 times before. But every time, every time from verses 2 to the first of verse 16, it is an active voice. But at the end of verse 16, it is in passive voice. Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Also, the, the word whom in Greek is a feminine relative pronoun. The point is, Joseph doesn't have anything to do with the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. That will be highlighted in the next account. But we are told this in this account as well. Now do you see the word genealogy in verse 1? Genealogy, that word is used five times in the New Testament. Five times in the New Testament. And two of them are in this chapter. In Matthew 1, verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And in verse 18, and this is going dim, but verse 18... Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. That word translated birth in verse 18 is the same word translated genealogy in verse 1. This is my point. Verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 gives the human genealogy of Jesus. 
Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it traces that line. Verses 18 through 25 are the divine genealogy of Jesus. Jesus didn't come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob on that side. He was, he had no human father. His divine side, he was the son of God. When you look in those names, you see some good names and bad names. There are people in our genealogies that, um, in our genealogies that we are proud of, there are people that we're not proud of. I have never studied my genealogy, never researched it. Um, my grandmother, on my mother's side, her maiden name was Ann. And she told me on several occasions that we were descendants of William. And that her mother had a promise from Quaker Oats that they were going to pay her a stipend because they used Grandpa Lee's picture. And she said, we never got that money. You can imagine living with this story for years. The emotion that I faced. When a meeting in Texas, I meet a family named Penn. And I'm telling them my story. And they tell me they had researched their genealogy. And something probably none of you knew to this point, William Penn never had any children. So, <laughs> my claim to fame is shot. It's, it's gone. Um, but a genealogy, in a biblical sense, is a way to tell us that God hadn't forgotten that God hadn't forgotten them. That through all these stages, and you have good stages like Abraham and Isaac, and you have the dreadful days of the judges when people like Obed uh, and uh, Boaz and Ruth and Obed lived. And you have days of victory in David and Solomon. And you have days of disaster in Manasseh who offered his own children as sacrifices. And yet through it all, God never forgot his promise. God never forgot his promises. God never abandoned his people. God sometimes punished his people when they did wrong. But God never gave up on his rebellious people to send his son into this world to save us from our sin. And the phrase in verse 1, the book, the book of... The record of the genealogy, or the book of the genealogy, the first two words, 
Those words in the Greek text are used together in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis 2-4. When the Bible tells us, and I apologize that I can't uh, demonstrate all of this, but in Genesis 2-4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. In, in the Greek translation, it was translated with those same two words. What, what we are being told is God is beginning a new epic in history. Like these words are used in the creation in Genesis 2 and verse 4. God is beginning a new creation in the person of Jesus. And God is going to save a new chapter in mankind's history and God is going to bring salvation salvation for those of us who have been longing for it for those who are burdened and heavy laden with sin he said come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest more can be said if you want a fuller version of the notes, I'd be glad to send them to you. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in spite of all the generations of sin and folly, In spite of all the rebellion and defiance of you, even among your own people, that you did not give up on them. And you did not give up on all creation. But you start a new chapter in Jesus, your son. A son who could save us, who can redeem us. Who can free us from our sins and free us from the fear of death. We stand in awe, O God. And what even this genealogy tells us about your mercy and your persistence in bringing us salvation. We approach your text humbly, knowing that we are dealing with matters greater than we are. But may every word of it, O God, Lead us to stand in awe of you and what you've done to save us. It is in Jesus we pray. Amen. Again, I don't know that I could adequately convey the grace of God as even revealed in this list. And how in spite of all the sin and all the failures, God still sent His Son.
If you are burdened by a load of sin, if you are overwhelmed with guilt, and you need relief, this is the right place. He is the right place. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you believe Jesus died for you and rose again, He invites you to turn from your sins in repentance and to be baptized for a mission of your sins. We want to help you as we stand and as we sing.